You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. That's kind of chipper, huh? Makes you a little bouncy. We try to bounce it up a little bit today because we're going to talk about I, I, it's a topic that can become heavy. I don't want it to be, but it can be. We're going to be talking about a new me in 23 as we think about our mental health and what does that what does that look like. And so sometimes we when we hear that word mental health, we don't distinguish well between mental health and mental illness. They they go hand in hand, but they're not necessarily the same thing. And so we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit today. But how many of you have have already not met your goals or your resolutions or your dreams for the year? You know, it's 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 here's here's the good thing. God's got a grace and you can start again tomorrow. Pretend tomorrow is the start of a new year. Okay, we'll do that. All right, good. Um, so anyway, thinking about mental health, it affects how we think, how we feel, and how we act. It determines, right, so much of how we handle stress, um, how we relate to others, and whether we can even make healthy choices in the midst of that stress. And um, although, again, some of those terms are sometimes interchangeable between mental health and mental illness, they're, they're not the same Thing. And so I want to kind of dig in and give you a little bit of stats just so you can kind of understand kind of where we're at or where we think we are at as a nation and um, help us kind of dig in. But more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness or mental disorder at some point in their lifetime, um, which seems like a lot, doesn't it? And um, one in five Americans will experience a mental illness in a given year. So also one in five children um, either currently or at some point uh, during their life will have some seriously debilitating, debilitating mental illness. And um, I know as a, have a spouse and a lot of friends that work in the school systems and stuff, there's an ever-growing presence and need for counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists and all those things. And so, again, I think as, as a, it's been a conversation as a culture that we've been talking about that's been bubbling up to the top for the last 15 to 20 years at least. And um, thinking about these things and how do we, especially as a faith community, how do we intersect with that? And and uh, we'll talk some more about that. But what does it look like for us as Christians and and whether that's medicine, whether that's counseling, whatever that is. And how do we walk together in the beautiful messiness of what we call life? Okay. And uh, but one in 25 Americans um, live with a serious mental illness, whether that's schizophrenia, a bipolar order, major depression, something like that. And we understand that there's there's not a single cause for um, mental illness. A number of those factors that contribute to that are like some life experiences, such as a trauma, um, abuse, some of that kind of stuff that that happens. Um, also experiences related to um, ongoing medical conditions. So someone who's struggling with cancer or diabetes or something like that, those kind of force us to think about those things. There's also biological factors that we know about, but then also the use of alcohol and drugs. And then in a culture that is ever connected via social media, there's a growing sense of loneliness and isolation. And so that's also one of these things that we delve into. And so, well, I've had several discussions over the past few weeks, and it's, I don't know if it's coincidence or just because of, of whatever, but um, leading into and thinking about this idea of mental health. And, and one of the questions that was brought to my attention that I thought, man, this is, this is a great way to think about it, is that when you go to the doctor, 
and you go get a physical and you have an evaluation and the doctor comes back to you and says, hey, you, your blood work shows X. Maybe that's high blood pressure or diabetes or whatever it may be. You listen to the doctor's advice. One, you went to the doctor because you just, hey, that's a routine that you're in or should be in and you go and then you get back to work and whatever they give you, whatever the evaluation says, you then respond to it. So if it's diabetes, then you, you make lifestyle changes or whatever. It's high blood pressure. You do all the different things. You follow the doctor's advice. But for some reason, there's a stigma around regular evaluations by going to a counselor or others to find health. And, and so we kind of push away from or pull away from going and having those regular things. And here's what I will tell you that, that I know and I understand for myself and, and working with people um, intimately on a daily basis is that healthy people see the doctor. Healthy people See a counselor. And to go see a counselor, to go see a doctor is not to admit unhealth, but it's to admit to, hey, I want to find what healthiness is for me. And so that's what, if, if nothing else this morning, that's what I want you to hear is, hey, I don't know where you're at or what, what struggles or stigmas that you've grown up with versus your culture, whatever. But listen, even some of the healthiest couples I know that I'd be like, man, I, I want my marriage to be like your marriage. They're like, hey, we're, we're constantly consistently in counseling so that someone can can help remove blinders from us and speak truth to us and say some of the difficult things um, that need to be said so we can continue to grow in our marriage and our relationship and as individuals. So I'll be able to do that here in just a moment. We're going to be digging in to first Kings chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, turn over there, but go find health. So today we're going to lean into this topic of mental health and and I'm, I'm hoping that it doesn't feel like a heavy weight, but it feels like, hey, you can find some freedom in this area of your life. Or this is something that you're struggling with or you know someone that is. And, and one of the things that I want you to grasp is this, is that our God is a God who repeats himself. And what I mean by that is this, is that God consistently says throughout Scripture, do not be afraid. I am with you. You see these phrases that he repeats over and over and over again. And the reason that he says these things is because he wants his children to understand them and be obedient and to understand the truths. Because he's a good father. Like any good parent, whenever your kids start to begin to meander around, crawl and all that stuff, danger begins to come before them. You see things as a parent with new eyes when your kids begin to move. And so what do we do as young parents when our kids begin to move? We begin to go, oh, yeah, they can plug something into the electric socket that's not supposed to be plugged in. And we don't want them to have curly hair like Pastor Chris. And so we're going to do something. And so what do you do? You may little squat them on the high knee. You may say, hey, no, whatever, whatever you need to do to help say, no, don't do that. And you don't just do it one time. You repeat it over and over and over again. Well, then there comes a time where they're mobile enough where they can actually walk outside of the house and walk across the street. And so one of the first times that you are with them on the edge of the street and there are cars that are coming as a good parent, what do you do? Hey, look both ways. Be patient. Make sure that you know that there's nothing that can harm you. And so only then take a step out into the street. And even then, let's find the properly marked spaces to walk in the street because that's going to be even safer. That's what a good parent does. And that's what God the Father does with us. Throughout Scripture, he continually says, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Do you love me? And the reasons he says that is because he wants us to be oversaturated with the things that are true 
So in those moments of life's most stress, because they will come, he wants that truth to come out of us so that we'll respond to that truth in the right way so that it protects us. Because there's going to be a moment when your child comes to the edge of a street and you're not going to be there. And what you hope is apparent is that what they hear is look both ways, wait for the light to change. Even then, look both ways before you cross and make sure that it's a safe passage. You want them to hear your voice in their head. And God the Father, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. Because he understands life will happen. And in those moments when life will happen, he wants us, he wants us to hear his voice, to be so saturated with the truth of how he sees us in life, so that when life presses, that's the stuff that come out. I'm with you. So I want to share with you some, some stories of different people. And one of them is the person of Elijah. Now, Elijah is a prophet in, in the old days. And he was a prophet who was fighting against, not fighting, but he was, I guess you could say fighting. He was talking against. His, his, his enemy, I guess, so to speak, was King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, and the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal were paid by King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And so they were paying these prophets. So one, they were propagating the gospel of Baal, the false god. And they were also speaking prophecies into King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, the things that they wanted to hear about themselves. So they paid people and these people were around them saying, hey, you will be, you're the most beautiful queen. You're the most handsome king. You're going to be all these different things because they wanted to keep their job. And they were also being paid to, to prophesy and to say things about the false god. And Elijah, the prophet of God, Yahweh, was countering them all throughout. And so finally it just came to a place where it was like, listen, we've got to have a showdown at the OK Corral. Okay? And so the OK Corral was Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel, even to this day, is known as the Black Mountain. And we'll find out why here in just a second. But on Mount Carmel, Elijah set a time and he said, hey, listen, you bring all of your prophets, King Ahab, and I will show up myself. And we'll have a little showdown. And so they set the showdown. And in there, in 1 Kings 17 and 18, we find out that Elijah said, hey, you guys go first. You call on the God of Baal. And here's what I want you to do. You need to set up an altar. You need to set up a sacrifice. And you call for him to burn that sacrifice, to burn that up. And we'll know that your God is the better, bigger, stronger God than Yahweh. So they set it up. They had a thousand prophets. And they were there. They did the work. It didn't take long. And they began to do the chants. They began to do all the different dances and different things that they would do. And, and over a little bit of a period of time, it wasn't working. And so they became more frenetic and more frantic. And the chants got louder. And they actually began to cut themselves to, to hope that God, the God of Baal, would respond to them. And it had gone on for a little bit. And the, the franticness and the, and, and the freneticness of all of it. And in the midst of it, Elijah was kind of a smart aleck. I don't know how prophets that could happen, but, but he, he says to them, maybe your God can't hear you because he's on the toilet. <laughs> That's really what the Hebrew says, which made them more frenetic. At a certain time, he said, well, it, it appears your God's like gone. He's on vacation or whatever, and he's not going to respond. It's my turn. And he says, I, I want you to know that this isn't just me doing a magic trick. I want you to know that my God, the God that's called me to be a prophet, the God of Israel is the God. 
And so I want you to get some people. It's only me. Can you have some people help me? We're going to build a moat around this altar, and we're just going to saturate it with water. And so they brought water, and they saturated the sacrifice. They saturated the wood, the altar, everything around it. And Elijah prayed this. Yahweh, if you are God, rain down fire. That's why it's called the Black Mountain, and it's still black, my friends. God rained down fire and gave Elijah overwhelming power to slay all of the prophets of Baal. Again, over a thousand prophets made quick work. Ahab sees what's going on. He's like, holy moly, I got to get out of here. He hops on his chariot and he goes down into Kidron Valley. And after Elijah had done his work, he chases him down. And I'm sure Ahab's seeing it and he's like, listen, we got to keep going. And Elijah catches up, passes him into town. And Ahab, King Ahab, shows up at the palace and has a conversation with his wife. And this is where we are. First Kings chapter 19, verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had, been, he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now, Elijah has just had an extreme mountaintop experience. Called, I don't know about you, have you ever had fire called down? No, and so I mean, it would be cool sometimes to be able to do it, but barbecue would be a little bit faster. And he does it. So you can imagine, here. he literally has a mountaintop experience with God, overwhelmed by the Spirit of God, and here he is, and here's this woman who calls on her gods that she had just been shown were false by Elijah. She can imagine Elijah who would have been a natural human be like, bring it. Like, my God's bigger. I mean, just this sense. But here's his response in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Counter to what you would think would happen, this lady says, I'm going to kill you. Even though he just had this mountaintop experience, he was afraid and he fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba in a town of Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness. This is one of the first things that I want you to get, is there's this natural tendency of once we experience mountaintop experiences with God, there's this high or whatever that happens to see all the time, especially with students when they go to camp or they go to retreat and they experience this. And, and, and there's this sense of something happening, and then they get back to from the mountain to Monday at school or Monday at work, and someone says something. And all of a sudden, what happens? Like Elijah, we go off alone and begin to think, I'm the only one. And here Elijah, he travels all day, and he sat under a solitary broom tree and began to pray that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Now, again, I mean, literally 24 hours, he's had this mountaintop experience, and now he's like, I've had enough. You see the extremes Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom trees. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. 
again, the, the, the interestingness of, of God reaching down and waking him up in the midst of the wilderness. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. You have to understand, when we think of wilderness, we think of like a forest. We're going to go into the trees, and we can hide, we can camp, and we can do whatever we need to do. Over there, when they're going into the wilderness, it's further into the desert. There's less trees. There's less water. It's more rocks and more sand and more caves. It's lonely. And so here Elijah moves into this place and he moves into the wilderness. And so the fact that there's food there speaks to the comfort and the provision of God. That he looked out and there was stones there. And so he ate and he drank and then he laid down again. So he got up and he ate and he drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So you can see a little bit, if you've been around church a little bit long enough, you understand that Mount Sinai is the place where Moses had an encounter with God and received the Ten Commandments. And so here Elijah is in a place of struggle and of his life, and so he goes to the one place that he feels like that he knows that he can have an encounter with God, where God has shown up before. We do this. We go to our favorite verses or we go to whatever and we kind of run to places that have been safety and God has spoken to us before. And so here Elijah runs to a place where he knows that there's been a a, a overwhelming encounter with God. And so he runs to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and he's there and then he gets into a cave where he spent the night. But in the midst of that, God says to him, what are you doing here? Why are you here, Elijah? I mean, we just had this Mount Carmel experience and now you've traveled over 200 miles for 40 days and 40 nights to come to Mount Sinai. And this is old business, Elijah. I I just had a new encounter with you and your people at Mount Carmel. Verse 10 says, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. This is a part of our mental and emotional health is there's those moments where we feel and we sense that we're isolated and that we're alone. And so he's even having a conversation with God and saying, I'm alone. And God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire and the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Now, it's interesting to think about that that God had passed by and all these different things happened. And the last one was fire. And he had just encountered God through fire just a little bit ago. But God wasn't in it. And so then God was in the gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped up his cloak. And he went out and stood at the entrance. Now this is relationship language. For someone to hear a whisper, is it's a quiet whisper. You have to draw close to them. 
And so as parents and grandparents, as we whisper to people that the intent is to, to, to slow down the heart rate, to get their attention and to draw them close. This is a child crawling up into the lap of the father or the mother and them whispering sweet nothings, whispering truths, whispering things that are specific to that child that you don't want anyone else to hear, but it's important. It's valuable. You want to repeat it over and over and over again. And so here God is calling Elijah out of the cave and he's whispering these words. Also, one of the, I've shared this before, but in our family, we have this thing that no matter how big the store is, we know where mama is because mama goes Psst. and she's trained us. I mean, trained me and trained the kids. And so, Psst. and you know, like you're in the middle of a super target or a super Walmart or whatever superstore you may be. And you hear this Psst. and you know, it's mama and mama's trying to find you. She's trying to get your attention and you need to be there. Well, we've been so well trained. We know exactly where she is like a GPS now. So we know she can be on the other side of the store and go, and if the kids are with me, we're like, she's over there. And so we have two options. One, go toward or to run. And sometimes it's more fun to run. And that's our relationship with God. Is there's in the midst of the chaos and the craziness of life. Sometimes we get distracted by the windstorms, the earthquake, and the fire, and God just whispers. But we're so attuned to all the things and distracted by other things, we don't hear the psst. Or sometimes when we do hear the psst, we don't want to draw close because we know. Or we have a sense of what God may be saying to us. And we don't want to get too close. And so Elijah wrapped his face up and he stood at the entrance of the cave and God repeated to him what he'd started this whole encounter with is this what what are you doing here why have you run from Mount Carmel to here and here's what he says again repeating his deal I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you torn down their altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. You can hear the, the party, the pity party. I mean, he just had an encounter with God on Mount Carmel, and he's like, now nah, I'm the only one left. And then the Lord told him, because the Lord knows us. He gives him purpose and meaning. He reminds him of his life calling and tells him, here's some things that I have for you that only you can do. The same is true for us is that God has uniquely shaped us and he has things that only you and I can do according to our calling. He has a purpose. He's not done with you yet. And this is what he's telling Elijah. You're here and I'm not done with you yet. The Lord told him, go back the way you came and travel the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Iram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel Moloha. You can name your kids. you got some great names now. To replace you as my prophet. So again, things that only Elijah could do, the anointing and the handing off in that culture, it had to come from a prophet anointed by God. And, and they would have acknowledged that. The people would have acknowledged Elijah as that prophet. And so God anointing those leaders. And then he gave him someone to mentor. 
and said, I'm not done with you. You have a unique calling that only you can do, but also I'm giving you a purpose beyond this day and this moment. If you have people to invest in and put your life into, I am not done with you, Elijah. Quit the pity party. For anyone who escapes Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Here's the interesting thing. He gives them hope in the midst of this too. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who've never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Wait, 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 wait. He had just said, I'm the only one. Do you see that? And God says, wait, 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 wait. We can actually have a church service of 7,001 who have not bowed down or kissed the Baal. Elijah thought he was alone, but he wasn't. He was given tasks to, to, to move forward and find someone to mentor and, and to invest in. And God consistently tells us over and over and over. And the thing that he's telling Elijah and the thing that he's going to tell some of these other guys is, I am with you. Someone, someone says, I'm out to get you. And life squeezes you. You can hear the voice of the Father say, In the midst of the chaos. And Isaac is a young man who was forced by famine into the Philistine country. And as he got there, he became friends with the king. And then they had a falling out. And then because he was a shepherd and trying to make make stuff happen. And there, him and the shepherds got crossways. And so crossways that the shepherds actually filled his wells of water with dirt so that he could not do the shepherding task is there. So he's literally at the ends of his mind of like, what am I going to do? And so he moves to a new place to set up new wells to, to do what he's supposed to be doing as shepherd. And God speaks to him and he says, Hey, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you and I will bless you and I will do this. Because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I know that the world seems like it's against you, but I am with you. Or what about Moses? Moses, y'all have heard about the golden calf debacle where, you know, he'd gone up and they got the Ten Commandments and he comes down and he was gone too long. His encounter with God was too long that they built a golden calf. And so he comes down and in his anger, he throws down the tablets and they break and then all heck breaks loose, right? And so in the midst of this, God says, Moses, it's time for you guys to move from this place to another place. And Moses says, mm-mm, not happening. And God's like, well, you're moving. And Moses says, no, you, you just said you're sending an angel and moving us. We may move, but we're not moving if you're not moving with us. We can't do this task Without you doing it. I understand an angel, they're, they're cool, they're powerful, that's all you, neat and stuff, but we need you. You are the only one that's enough for this situation. So the Lord replies, I will personally go with you, Moses. This is prayer, by the way. Discussion with God. You ever had these discussions? And so the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Probably the thing he needed most. And everything will be fine for you. Are there days that you need to hear that? Everything will be fine. And then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. God, I won't go unless you go. How will anyone know what, that you look favorably on me 
on me and on your people if you don't go with us. For your presence among us sets us apart from all the other people on earth. Now here's the interesting thing. As a follower of Jesus, God goes with you already. Because if you've said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been deposited in your heart and your soul. And so when you go to work on Monday, when you go to school on Monday, his presence is already there because you're there as a follower of Jesus. And so he never leaves you, never forsakes you. And, and so part of this prayer is like, God, go with me. And he's like, I'm, I'm there. Maybe our prayer should be, God, attune me to the psst in the midst of the chaos on Monday. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. He knows you by name. And he looks favorably on you. God's presence matters. Because it dispels fear and anxiety and all that stuff with inside of us. Because here's the deal. In those moments when life presses in, we have two choices. To listen to the world and the lies and the things that they are telling us. Or to listen to the words of God and the truths of Him that never change. So what's going to come out in that moment? Next is Moses' intern, Joshua. Moses, because of some mess-ups, didn't go get to take the people into the promised land. And so his follow-up guy, Joshua, had that responsibility as a young man to carry people in. And so you can imagine the anxiety, the fear, the worry. There were giants in the land, we were told. There was all this hopes and dreams ahead, but also there's going to be some trouble, potentially. And so Joshua was taking over for Moses, and here's what it says in Joshua 1, 5 and following. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. This is God talking to Joshua. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. This is my command. He says, this is not a if and or but. This is my command to you, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Now, what we have a tendency to think as Americans is that means pull up by your bootstraps like we should be strong and courageous. What it really means is we should lean into the strength and courage of God the Father. Do not be afraid or discouraged because he's with us. For the Lord your God is with you. Where? Where is he? Wherever we go. God is with us. Or what about this guy, Paul? He's written quite a few books, and you would think, man, if there was somebody who wasn't worried or anxious or had moments of fear or doubt or whatever, and then hear Paul in Philippians chapter 4 talking to the church at Philippi, he tells them, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And this is a joy that has nothing to do with the circumstances around us, but has everything to do with our relationship with Christ. That everything else could be falling down, but our foundation is built on Jesus, nothing less. That our house could fall, but standing on his foundation, we stand. So rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is in you. That's pretty near, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then the peace of God, the whole peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Psst. Psst. 
those moments when the world is shouting. God the Father says, come close. I need to remind you. I am with you. I love you. I know you by name. And the world is, is doing all this other noise around us and it's easy to follow and to listen to that. And God the Father is like, I'm here. Draw near to me. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Shh. Jesus, in the Spirit, one of his, his last prayer that I even said, he said, hey God, I want... These is one of the disciples and the ones before to be with me and to know me. And it's a relationship thing. The presence is essential. The pray, Jesus prays that we would be near him and with him and know him. And he goes to the cross to make that closeness happen. And he says in John seventeen twenty four, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. The drawing close with Jesus. And then finally, his last words to his disciples. The final words that he says to those that had hung out with him for three and a half years and had seen his death, burial, and resurrection, had seen everything after his resurrection. He comes before them one last time and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then his last words. The Father repeats exactly what we need to hear because it's extremely important. And here's what he says. And surely I am the I am who talked to Moses is with you always. Always. Not part time. He's not like the God Baal who takes toilet breaks. He's here all the time. Psst. Can you hear me and know it? Psst. Shh. So who's in charge? Who's in charge? Me? And the world and all the things that I allow in the midst when life kind of hits the fan. The things that the world tells me in my ever-shifting feelings or the true words that God whispers to us, His children that He knows by name. I am with you. I love you. You are precious. You're one of a kind. I don't make junk. Be strong and courageous. That's my hope and prayer for you. In the midst of this discussion of mental health, I don't want it to feel like we're just wrapping it up in a box and it's something easy. It's messy. But I want you to understand, wherever you're at in your journey, to hear the words of a father that loves you and says to you, I am with you. And that you never feel like you're the only one. And to know that there's 7,000 plus that are followers of Jesus that are ready to be your friend. But 
To have a 2 a.m. friend means you have to do the work weeks and months and years ahead so that when the 2 a.m. comes, you have someone. And also that you go get evaluated and get checked up. Healthy people see a doctor. Go do it. Go do it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these stories of great men and women of God. Father, may we receive encouragement from you that even a person like Elijah who could experience a mountaintop experience like he did. That literally within a few hours feels alone. And Lord, I know that that's many of our stories as well. So, Father, I pray that we would just lean in to the promises, that we would lean into you and to hear your distinct call to us. For you give us a purpose, you give us a meaning, you give us a job that only we can do. And, Father, one of those things is to invest in and care for other people around us. Father, I pray we will lean into those things this morning and this coming week. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.